Rabbi David Wolkenfeld and guest co-host Rabbi Dr. Shlomo Zukir. We are the official podcast of Anshe Shalom B'nai Israel Congregation, an Orthodox synagogue in the Lakeview neighborhood of Chicago, Illinois. So I am very, very fortunate that I have a co-host this week for the Straw Hat, my friend and colleague, Rabbi Dr. Shlomo Zukir, uh, who is uh, joining us uh, today. Really, really excited to introduce you to the listeners of the Straw Hat uh, and uh, sort of share with them some of what your some of your ideas and also introduce them to what uh, what you're up to, some of your projects. So, uh, so welcome to the Straw Hat, Shlomo. Really, really uh, honored to have you uh, with us. Uh, virtually with us <laughs> on the show. Oh, thank you very much. I'm very happy to be here. So we met some years ago when I was a student at Yeshivat Haritzion in the Gush uh, as a quote-unquote older student, which means I was already well into my 20s uh, and was completing up my final uh, requirements for Smicha while uh, learning there at the Yeshiva. And you were uh, a uh, up-and-coming student. Already you were a person... Uh, Everyone knew was going to make something of himself as a scholar and teacher, and uh, and in fact, you have done so. <laughs> so uh, since then, I know you were, you uh, went to YU and finished Micha there. You taught uh, as as a rabbi at, at Yale University. Uh, so we were not on campus at the same time. We both uh, had that experience of being uh, campus campus rabbis uh, and. Uh, uh, you, rival campuses, no less. <laughs> rival campuses. Uh, I, I don't think. People at Princeton think of Yale as a rival, but I don't know, but maybe. <laughs> and, uh, and, and you've uh, been also in, engaged in academic study as well. So I just share a little bit about what, what, about what that has been like. Sure. Yeah. So actually, I'm at so- something of a, of a turning point now, um, having spent the last 16 years in, uh, in higher education, both in the world of the yeshiva and in academic study. Uh, I've reached, I think, the end of, of uh, that path as a, as a student or as a graduate student. So I, I just uh, finished a PhD uh, at Yale University in ancient Judaism, writing about uh, issues of sacrifice and atonement. And we actually just had uh, the commencement today, virtual ah, commencement today. Mazal tov. <laughs> very exciting. Thank you very much. And uh, also, I've been uh, sort of on a parallel track uh, following Smicha at YU, I, I, I was, as you mentioned, I was uh, one of the campus rabbis at Yale for a th- few years through OU JLIC. And uh, the last uh, three years, I've, I've been learning at YU in the Kolo Elyon, which is uh, sort of, uh, in some ways, maybe the equivalent or parallel to a PhD. It's for post-Smicha advanced uh, Gemara study in, in, the, in a more traditional sense. I guess I'm really share a little. I guess what, what what are you up to now? Like you've been doing a lot of online teaching, and I'm sort of curious how you came to that and and how you think about that role. Because uh, every time I go on Facebook, I see you're like another mini essay that you've written or some shiur that you're giving or interview with somebody, and I'm just, it seems like a tremendously valuable service that you're providing to the community. And um, yeah, if you could share a little bit about about that. So in some ways, it happened a bit by accident. We we were early adopters of social distancing on account of the fact that one of our daughters uh, is in SAR and they had an early case, they closed down early. So we were home very early and even had, uh, even got tested for coronavirus early on. In the end, we were all, we were all negative, but, um, you know, got me thinking a lot about, about many of the medical issues at hand. And, um, you know, I sort of had the sense that both the way that the politicians were responding and even a lot of the guidance from the shuls wasn't necessarily up with the latest, 
reports from from a scientific perspective, especially looking at patterns in Italy. And uh, so I, I really pushed for uh, for a shutdown of the shuls. And uh, soon after soon after I did the shuls, indeed did shut down. I, I, I don't assume I had anything to do with that, but uh, that did throw me in to dealing with COVID issues and thinking about them and posting about them early on. And uh, at, at some point, you know, maybe uh, relatively early, uh, there was just so much material that was coming out, uh, different psakim, uh, different halachic decisions, different uh, policy issues, different theological issues that were coming up and uh, really, uh, you know, of, of a fascinating nature. And I sort of took it upon myself to translate some of these issues, uh, you know, write about them, try to bring uh, some clarity to a broader audience uh, regarding a lot of these questions. So both both through Facebook posting and then more recently through some shirim uh, through Grisha and, and elsewhere, I've been trying to uh, do a little bit, some deeper analysis uh, out of out of the various uh, things that are going on. So if, if listeners to the podcast want to follow up and, you know, study what some of what you've um, created and, and, you know, dive into your work, where can they, or how can they uh, find that? So in, in terms of the recent things, I'd say two, two places. First, on Facebook, Shlomo Zuckier. Um, if they're from your shul, I, I'll, I'll know where they came from. And okay. uh, that actually, I have one, one page where I sort of organized the various postings and, and other links uh, from uh, March and April. So that would be a good place to look. And also, Drisha has, uh, on their video archive, has five about hour-long shirim on, on different topics, from making a minion on, uh, on over porches to uh, the question of Zoom seders, to questions of allocating scarce medical resources uh, right now, etc. Oh, that's great. So that's drisha.org, right? The regular Drisha website. And... I believe so, yeah. And they have, they have a video archive. They also, I think, have a YouTube channel. So there's a couple different ways uh, to get there. Great. So I, I come across this all the time. I have not uh, had the time to like listen to many. Uh, I, I think there are like two types. I think there's some people who have um, maybe lots of time to listen to Shirim now because they don't have distractions and they're stuck at home and they have like, you know, so they're like learning a ton and learning foreign languages and, you know, lots of podcasts and Shirim and, and wonderful, wonderful <laughs> uses of their time. That That's not the boat that I'm in right now, but uh, I, I do see it. And with a lot of jealousy, I, I look at the topics that you're teaching about. So maybe one day I'll, I'll be able to circle back and, and, and listen to what you have to say about these topics. But I just, I think this identifying them is, is really, uh, is really, really interesting. I think, you know, like uh, decades from now, I think uh, halakhic scholars will look back at the creativity of of this moment and, and like just every corner of the Shulchan Aruch, I think has been, you know, like has had questions uh, emerge. Um, just for some sure. of the, I don't know, what's like, I don't know, like, I, I, I came, I made a list for myself of just like, you know, what, what, uh, you know, I, I didn't <laughs> well, I'd say first it. before, yeah. before we get to the specifics, I'd say that I think there's an important meta issue here, which is that when you place any system under, under stress, you find where its breaking points are and, and you know where divisions lie. So I think the incredible stress that the halachic system has been placed under, what does Judaism look like without shul? And what does it look like when there's isolation and, and there's a need to connect people in some cases uh, in, in various ways? And, and you Or what does medical ethics look like under severe shortages according to halacha? So you find there's just been so much, uh, so much both creative work trying to resolve these issues to deal with issues that have never come up before and uh, the revealing of interesting divides, interesting disputes on things that don't usually come up. Um, you know, having a zoom minion that wasn't really at the top of anyone's 
uh, priority list. And now all of a sudden, do Zim, Zoom and Yonim work? For, you know, do they actually work? Do they pseudo work? Um, uh, you know, a whole host of discussions over, over really dozens of issues that, that keep coming up. So I think, you know, the, this is a turning point, whatever, wh- whichever way it's going to turn, it's going to be a turning point just because of the incredible uh, stress that the system is under. That's a very provocative uh, statement. So could you like go one step further at least and tell like what, what has been revealed in terms of those stress points? What are those divisions that have been uncovered by this stress test? So I, I think one example uh, is is a question of how to understand not well, electricity, but more so uh, virtual reality. So the question of Zoom. Zoom keeps coming up for obvious reasons. Um but uh, you know the, the way the way Halacha has treated electricity and video cameras, etc. Let's say on on Shabbos and Yom Tov, has you know it's really tried to hedge its bets. It's tried to be stringent where there isn't a need and be lenient where there is a need. You know even beyond having a full consistency, and it's a lot easier to get away with that when you know when there isn't so much stress. So if you say technically we could find a way of permitting this, but we think it's a bad policy, we think it'll be unhealthy. Maybe it's better to side with the opinions that are stringent here. That you can get away with under normal circumstances. But when things have, have gone the way they have and, and people aren't in contact with each other, so Zoom simultaneously becomes more necessary in some cases. And in other ways, it becomes maybe more necessary to avoid it. It becomes such a part of, of what daily life is that, let's say, Shabbos or Yom Tov has to look different. So you have a, two simulta- a simultaneous pull in two opposite directions. Um, on the question of, of uh, virtual reality. Is seeing something over Zoom considered sight? Is typing on a computer considered writing? Um, you know, what role does electricity play in this? All of those issues have come to a head now, whereas they hadn't previously, not just because there was no need for them, but because it was a lot easier to hedge your bet and, and uh, you know, sort of fudge instead of taking a clear stand. That's really interesting. So even, yeah, even a decade from now, when, please God, this illness is no longer a factor in people's lives, uh, electricity will still exist and uh, online communication devices will still exist. Zoom will still exist, presumably, 10 years from now. And and the halachic research that was undertaken or the, or the push to come up with halachic solutions uh, today will, will then play a role in, uh, I guess, in how we navigate those future realities. What, what do you say to people, you know, I, at the very beginning of... Uh, of this, uh, you know, strange COVID era, there were people who expressed a lot of um, frustration that there was so much halakhic creativity solving these problems. When what about you know all the problems of agunot and all the other like vexing issues of halakha and regenerity that were we still haven't solved after decade after decade? And why you know within weeks of uh, shuls being shuttered, all of a sudden every rabbi has a creative solution to uh, solving those problems? Uh, do you have a response to that that frustration? Do you think it's uh, appropriately um, expressed, or is it? Well, I don't think it's my place to to tell people whether their frustrations are are proper or not. But I'll, I'll put it this way. Um, what one of my teachers likes to say that there is a fair amount of flexibility within halakhic decision making, but by no means is there complete flexibility. So there are some cases, there are some scenarios that it's possible to resolve, and some where there just isn't room to resolve that. And I think we see that, you know, in day to day day to day life with with the you know consistent issues like agunot. You know, uh, you know, if some post can say, well, we can't use this or that process, but we can create a halakhic prenup which solves. A, a very large percentage of the issues. There are some some workarounds that that are viable and some that aren't. You really have the same thing here because if you listen to the voices 
out, certainly on social media. I don't know what other voices there are um, <laughs> right now. And, uh, I, you know, I've, I've had my share, heard my share of voices, I think. So you have people saying, oh, it's great. You know, the rabbis have stepped up and, and found all these leniencies and that's been great. And you have that voice. And you also have people saying, how, how can it be that Orthodox communities are not having are not allowing Zoom satyrs, are not allowing Zoom minions, you know, in, in the fullest sense of a minion. That can't be, this is a failure of rabbinic leadership. So you have the same thing here. There are some cases where things that would be nice, that would be, be great to have, some of them are maybe even necessary to have, some of them fall into place. And sometimes even if something really seems necessary, uh, it just, it doesn't seem like there's room to allow for it. Constituting a minion over Zoom, um, there, there doesn't seem like there's room within with at least within Orthodox halakha to allow for that. And that's why there's really been a consensus on that issue. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. Is there a COVID-related halakha question that that is uh, like on your desk right now that's like, you know, currently reading about researching that you could share a few of the headline, you know, 30,000 feet, like contours of the debate? Uh, sure. This is one thing. I mean, I think a lot of the major issues happened right away, the first few weeks, both because new issues came up immediately and because of Pesach. But one issue that's that's coming up now, as there's talk and thought, and in some cases, actual reopening, uh, is the question of, of what do you do about Torah readings? How do you make up uh, lost to, or the miss, you know, the skip Torah readings? So, you know, just to give very, in very broad contours, so at least in theory, there's an argument to be made that the reason why we do the Torah reading the way we do is to finish the Torah every year. And just because, for whatever reason, some act of God, we miss shul for a quarter of the year or whatever it is, doesn't mean we shouldn't finish the Torah. We should still make it work, you know, figure out how, maybe double every week or, you know, have one long makeup session or whatever it is to finish the Torah communally. That, you know, there's a certain logic to that. I think the overwhelming view is certainly not to require that. Um, and there are some some precedents, some chuvot that talk about, well, you should never make up more than one week, one, one extra parsha, because it's too much of a tircha. That's one argument against. Another argument against is there's only an obligation for the community to read the Torah when they're actually meeting. But if there's no there's no community, we've had no community for the past two plus months. We just haven't met as a shul, so there's no need to to go back. So I think I think the standard position, the way it's looking, is that uh, there's no requirement, but it might be at least nice. To go back and maybe at the very least to do last week's, to do whenever you reconvene, to at least catch up one week. Um, and maybe for those uh, intrepid shulgoers who want to sit for five hours and hear all of Sefer Vayikra, uh, maybe there's room for that as an option as well. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know how many folks in our shul would volunteer to be the, the audience for Sefer Vayikra, <laughs> you know, like the, the opera version. It's like a, but um, but, but that I, I do find that... Um, at least in some conceptual or poetic level, the idea that we wouldn't have the entire Torah read seems uh, uh, seems very disturbing, right? Like how could how could it how yeah. could it be that the Torah is not read? But uh, and and it's it's worse in the sense that it's not just in this one shul or this one community, but it's in a sense it's all over the world. There's no there's no shul in any large community, certainly in America and Israel and most other most other Jewish communities. There's no shul that's lamed almost the whole sefer. So it's not just a local issue; it's really a global issue. The whole, you know, uh, global Jewish Torah reading is lacking. Yeah, yeah. I, I think there was. A, I think in Israel they made a, um, they, they took over a hotel and they used it for COVID positive um, patients to recuperate. You know, sort of in isolation from their families. And right. So I think Minyanim there starting it already in March, 
And oh wow, uh, so they were they kept it going. I feel like that sort of gives me a lot of because it's not if it's like some irresponsible basement minion somewhere where they're violating public health and they're reading to I don't care about them. That doesn't help me out. But if there's like, you know, <laughs> recuperating patients who are doing what they're supposed to do in quarantine in a hotel, you know, recuperating together and they're, they're laning like that, that I feel good about, that they're like carrying that burden for the Jewish people of making sure the Torah is ready to week and we're making our way through the parshiot. Um, in some, yeah. Some and I think, I think, I think I heard that that minion also was, uh, was saying Kaddish uh, on behalf of people who couldn't say Kaddish themselves. Yeah, really yeah, a wonderful yeah, service. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. In our, in our community, we've um, we've convened like a Zoom gathering each morning for Mishnah study. So we all mm-hmm. share the names. We read the Kaddish list. We read the Yardsite list. People on the call can share the names people they're thinking of, and we learn a Mishnah. And that's what we've done. But it's uh, it, it's hard. It's hard. I really feel for people who they want to say Kaddish for a loved one, or really everyone who has like a major life, even like a happy occasion, like a wedding or a birth, or you know, trying to do these things without all of the ways in which. Um, like people learned how to do them for hundreds of years. Is really, I just like my heart breaks. With all the tragedy of the situation, it's so poignant to my people trying to like, you know, live their lives and grapple with good occasions and bad occasions without the support of a of you know friends and family. As we, as, you know, like yeah, very hard. It's a real challenge. So Shavuot is approaching uh, as this podcast is going to be released. Uh, any uh, share a thought for with us for for Shavuot. So one one thought about about Shavuot is there's this there's this interesting theme we have that uh, everyone was at Sinai. You say in Parsha in Parsha Nitzavim um, talks about how everyone's gathered together to recommit to the covenant, and and Rashi there says uh, really harking back to the original covenant uh, that who is at Sinai that you know the men women children and Afim Dorot Haitidim Lihiot even for future generations. So all, all generations, all Jewish generations were at Sinai. And of course, this gives birth to expressions like uh, saw you at Sinai and, and the like. Um, so that's one idea that all Jews were at Sinai and received the Torah uh, across history. And there's another another theme of uh, that the Torah should be seen every day as if it's new, as if it's uh, the day, as if it was the day it was given. And, you know, it seems sort of unusual, this idea of bending time, bending space. It's as if you were there, even though, you know, presumably people weren't there. Maybe their souls were there, whatever that means. And it's the Torah was given today, even though, of course, it wasn't given today. So I think I think this model actually can be very helpful for us in our moment, because the idea of Torah, whether you're physically at Sinai or not, and whether it, you know, it uh, historically was given today or not, the way we approach Torah, the way we look at Torah, the way we relate to Torah is as if we were there at the original giving and that original giving of the Torah was today. And the idea of, of Shavuot is to recommit to that ideal, to, to see ourselves as if we were there. It's almost, it's almost Pesach-like, see ourselves as if we were at, at Sinai, as if we're receiving the Torah today. And that's really the theme of every day, but, but Shavuot uh, gets one to recommit to that. And I think as we're, as we're remote, as we're not uh, physically in our in our synagogues and not physically able to meet in that way uh, to join with the Jewish community around Torah and around uh, tefillah and prayer, we still have this idea of of recommitting to our values of saying, you know what, I wasn't uh, I wasn't in shul today. I haven't been in shul for the last two months, but really, every day is a day that I'm in shul. Every day is a day that I'm recommitting to the Torah and making that a part of my life, and it's it's really staring me in the face on a values level at all times. 
So I think that's a nice a nice idea that we can take with us that theme of of receiving the Torah. It's not about a point in time in history and a specific place. Uh, that 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 time and place uh, expands uh, to affect us wherever we are, as long as we're properly committed to Torah. That's really beautiful because it means there's something like virtual about every Shavuot. Every Shavuot, there's like a it's a a virtual experience where where as exactly. though we were at Sinai, as though we were there in this time in the past with every Jew who ever lived and ever will live, all of us together. Um, so there's like a virtual element like baked into Shavuot. This year, maybe it's a little more virtual because we're going to be most of us uh, alone in our homes. And, and so. But that just means it's the real fulfillment. You know, we're not pretending that we're, we're, we're physically together. We're, we're leaning into the real, the true virtual nature of receiving the Torah. It's, yeah. it's more Shavuot than ever this year. Wonderful, wonderful. I, I that, thank you for that idea. That that's really inspiring. That's going to take. I'm going to take that with me uh, into Shavuot. Uh, one idea that our shul is doing for listeners uh, with any affiliation whatsoever with Anshe Shalom, which concludes wherever you live. If you listen to the podcast, we are trying to uh, over the course of Shavuot have the entire Torah be read and studied, uh, whatever language you understand and ever whatever fashion is appropriate for you. Um, just to, like the entire Torah should be covered. So we have. On the Shul website, you have every Parsha in the Torah, divide into Aliyot. You can sign up for a Parsha or two or just half a Parsha, an Aliyah or so um, by yourself, with your family, and just hope in this way that as much of the Torah as possible can be like embraced by our community and studied by our community, at least separately, if not uh, all in the same building. But um, That's a really beautiful idea. I, 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 I think it's a sweet idea. I hope, I hope people uh, who listen and are involved in the Shul uh, pick it up. So that's on the Shul website, you can find the information for, for how to do that. Um, thank you so much for sharing uh, your time with us and with our with the podcast listeners. Really, really appreciate that. And I hope we'll have other ways to collaborate and learn together with you in the future. Maybe once that becomes safe and possible, I'd love to have you visit uh, Lake View, <laughs> meet you in person. And uh, I hope I uh, have a chance to maybe you know conferences or trips to the East Coast, whatever things I used to do from time to time. Hope that happens again in my life, and I'll have a chance <laughs> to do <meet> person. <laughs> but in the meantime, I. Really look forward to engaging with you and learning from you online. And I'm really glad that I got to introduce our listeners uh, uh, to really the, the wonderful ideas that you that you bring to the table. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you very much. This was a, a real pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Straw Hats. This is Straw Hat producer Haley Leventhal. We're doing our best to keep the podcast going remotely, so please, as always, feel free to reach out with your feedback. We'd love to hear what you think. Please feel free to subscribe, rate us, share the podcast with all your friends and family. I don't have suggestions for what to do with your negative feedback this week, because that is Robinette Sarna's area of expertise, and I think we all just want to keep it as positive as possible these days. So I hope you and your families are staying safe and healthy, and we hope you'll join us for our next episode in two weeks.